Welcome to the Semper Reformato podcast, spreading the word and contending for the faith. Isaiah 6 and 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. As Christians, as the church, we are to proclaim the word of God. And we are to be a prophetic voice speaking unto the nations. And at this moment in time, our nation is at a crossroads. Queen Elizabeth II, the Queen of the United Kingdom and the Commonwealth, head of the Commonwealth, has died aged 96. And as Christian believers, we sympathise always with those who mourn, do we not? And we hold them in our prayers, as we do with all of those who suffer loss and bereavement. Now, whenever I was a wee boy, my granny taught me a very important principle. She said to me, whatever you do, don't speak ill of the dead. That's very true and very helpful because the dead cannot defend themselves. And this evening I want to make a few remarks in acknowledgement of the death of the Queen. But it is a sensitive subject, and I'm not very good at being sensitive. So I want to say right at the very outset that in making these remarks, I have no desire whatsoever, no wish to offend or to annoy anyone. And my aim this evening is to honestly demonstrate before you the imperfection of every person of whatever rank or status and to illustrate the brevity of life on this earth and hopefully to contrast that with the majesty and perfection of the eternal God before whom we will all one day give account. I've read to you from Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1 and I want to use that as a framework for what I'm going to say. It simply says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord. So it's the year that King Uzziah died. I think there are certain moments in a nation's history that are always distinctly memorable. I think this is one. Isaiah used this, so memorable was it, that Isaiah used it as a record of a momentous change. Not only a change in the history of the nation of Israel, but a change in his own personal circumstances. It was the same year when he met the one true God, the God of Israel. He had, of course, been brought up in a covenant relationship with that God. He had been part of God's chosen nation. But that year, 
was the year of his conversion and his call to ministry, the year when God revealed himself to Isaiah, the year when the blinding light of the perfection of God exposed in him his sinful nature and his eternal danger. His anguish cry echoes to us right from that day to this. The cry, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. In modern language, we might say, woe is me, for I am ruined. Seeing God in his holiness, Thrice holy, 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 holy. Isaiah realizes that before God, he is an utterly ruined sinner. And yet God comes to his rescue. The same God who is holy cleanses him from his sin, gives him a task in his kingdom. And Isaiah firmly roots and grounds this incident in his life, this change in his life, in the reality of what is happening in the world around him. He points to the fact that it was the year that the monarch died. Think about those circumstances for a minute. Think about the crown and think about the consequences. Who was this man Uzziah? Well, King Uzziah was just 16 years of age when he began to reign. And he reigned for 52 years in the southern kingdom of Judah. Reigned from approximately 790 to 739 BC. It was by the standards of the kings of Israel, it was a very long and a very prosperous reign. By all accounts, Uzziah was an intelligent man. He was a man successful in battle. He built the defences of Jerusalem. He built a professional army. He promoted agriculture. And yet the scriptures tell us in 2 Chronicles 26 that he became proud of his achievements and decided that he was above God's law. And he sinned by going into the temple of God to offer sacrifice, a ritual that was preserved for the priests alone. He interfered, if you like, in the affairs of the church. Just as he was about to offer sacrifice, and as the priest was remonstrating with him and asking him to leave, the Lord struck him with leprosy. A white spot appeared in his forehead. Uzziah ran from the temple in fear, and he remained a leper until the day he died, his son Jotham ruling in his place. Uzziah's death was a definitive moment, the death of a man who had achieved so much in his life, whose rule had been admired. In 2 Chronicles 26 and verse 8, it tells us that the Ammonites paid tribute. They paid money, if you like, to Uzziah. His fame spread abroad, even as far as the border of Egypt, for he became very strong. The nation regarded him with great affection, and yet his actions 
had alienated him from the God that he claimed to serve and brought him under the wrath of that God. Our Queen Elizabeth II has been on the throne for 70 years. She was never meant to be queen. It was the abdication of her uncle Edward VIII in 1936 before he married an American divorcee, an act that scandalized the nation. That was the act that thrust Elizabeth's father, Albert, onto the throne. He became George VI, a shy man who never wanted to be king, who had to see Britain through the war who died of lung cancer and other complications in 1952, when Elizabeth, still herself a young girl, was crowned as queen. Like Uzziah. Throughout her life, she seems to have made a public profession of faith in Christ on more than one occasion, claiming Christ as her saviour. In a number of social media posts recently, she has been quoted as saying, throughout my life, the message and teachings of Christ have been my guide, and in them I find hope. That's not significant in itself, of course. Those words could be spoken by a Unitarian, even a Mormon. could make a statement like that. I cast my mind back a few years to 2011 when Queen Elizabeth's Christmas Day address to the nation that year was a very clear Christian message indeed, a message that would be so rare among national leaders today. There was no attempt to fudge the issue, no attempt to deliver a politically correct message, unlike the Archbishop of Canterbury. Elizabeth that year clearly set forth a Christian gospel, that we are sinners, that Christ is the Saviour. She said, although we are capable of great acts of kindness, history teaches us that we often need saving from ourselves. I would have put that a little stronger. But coming from the Queen, from our recklessness, from our greed, And she then went on to remind the nation that when God sent his son into this world, he sent a unique person. She actually said he did not send a general or a philosopher, but he sent a saviour. She spoke of how forgiveness lies at the heart of God's love. Like many a preacher, she quoted from a hymn to illustrate her point. She quoted the words of O Little Town of Bethlehem. And she said, O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in, be born in us today. And she concluded her speech with this appeal. It is my prayer that on this Christmas day we might all find room in our lives for the message of the angels and for the love of God through Christ our Lord. A truly unashamed Christian message. As I say, there's always a reluctance to speak ill of the dead. But I don't want to be one-sided. I want to be completely fair. 
Like Uzziah, Elizabeth's reign was far from perfect. Her actions didn't always reflect that outward profession of faith. Politicians right now are busy praising Elizabeth for how Britain prospered under her reign. So said Liz Truss. But in 1952, Britain was a morally Christian country. Where marriage and the family were valued and respected. Where society was a lot safer than today where there was no homosexual marriage. In a podcast episode back in the springtime, I noted how Elizabeth had not faithfully kept her coronation oath. The coronation oath is to defend the Protestant faith and to uphold the laws of God in this country. I ask you a question. How did signing the 1967 Abortion Act into law uphold the laws of God in this country when abortion is directly contrary to the law of God. Over in the nation of Belgium in 1986, I think, the king of Belgium was faced with a similar dilemma. A man with strong moral principles, he was asked to sign the new abortion act in that country. The king declined and declined forcefully and said he would never sign such a thing. It was a constitutional crisis. Many people will say Elizabeth was a constitutional monarch. She had to sign it. It was maybe not what she wanted, but she signed it because she was a constitutional monarch. Now, I honestly think, and I don't know if you want to agree with me or not, but I honestly think that the law of God is more important than the constitution of a country. We must obey God rather than men. When the Belgian parliament came to see the king and asked him to sign the abortion act, he declined so forcibly that they went back to parliament and they forced him to abdicate the throne for a period and they forced the abortion act through in his absence. But at least afterwards, he was able to say that his conscience was clear. Book of the Month. Follow the link to buy your copy. It's September and our catechism classes based on the Heidelberg Catechism have recommenced. If you haven't got a copy of the catechism, then I would really urge you to purchase a copy and to keep it and to read it. It will be a worthwhile addition to any library. And a personal paper copy is probably essential for any meaningful study of the plain and practical Christian teachings that the Catechism contains. So for September, the Heidelberg Catechism will be our Book of the Month. Links to buy your copy at just £2.95 can be found on the episode notes during September. Or contact me by email. The email address is bob at bobmacavoy.co.uk September's Book of the Month the Heidelberg Catechism. When you buy a copy, a small amount of the price supports this podcast. But there's always consequences from national times like this, national change. 
and the consequences in Uzziah's day would have been momentous. The death of any ancient Near Eastern monarch was a tumultuous occasion in the land. Usurpers and pretenders would be eyeing up the throne. Imposters would be attempting to wrest away the crown. The people who lived in the land would be in a state of deep fear. And I think, personally, that Elizabeth's death will change a lot, if not everything, in this country. She was, to be fair, a faithful, loyal woman. She kept her counsel to herself. I don't know what her political views were. She didn't share them, whatever they were, if she even had them. Her successor, now proclaimed as King Charles III, and what a name to take, considering King Charles I and King Charles II were both persecutors of the Christian Church. Charles is a very different character. Charles' association with the World Economic Council, he and Klaus Schwab, the head of that globalist body, joined together to launch the so-called Great Reset, the Fourth Industrial Revolution, that which will leave us all poorer and colder and under constant surveillance with its mantra, you will own nothing and be happy. I tell you, I'm apprehensive about King Charles's intentions I'd say there are people in Davos who are happy today we would be right to be concerned about our future and the future of the nation Samuel Rutherford who wrote Lex Rex the law and the king is quoted in a book called the covenanted reformation He says the king is bound without respect of persons to extirpate popery, prelacy, superstition, heresy, schism and profaneness and whatsoever shall be found contrary to sound doctrine at the power of godliness. I can't see Charles doing that. The man who wanted to be the defender of all faiths who stood in his accession address and promised to defend the Protestant religion and to stay out of church affairs. A monarch's death changes everything. And that really brings me to my second point, because as Isaiah, like others of his time, were deeply concerned during a time of national turmoil, and as we ought to be concerned even now, there was a tremendous vision of assurance from God that the kings of this earth come and go in the Lord's timing, but the king of kings who is eternal, his reign never ends. So whenever we look back at Isaiah chapter 6, we read the second part of the verse, and there's a great contrast In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne. We're forced to admit today the reality that all men and all women pass away. 
no matter how high or how low their status in life. And we are reminded that there is a God, a God who is forever and ever, who never changes, who is from everlasting to everlasting. Let's look at his kingly presence just for a moment. The text reads here, I saw the Lord seated upon the throne. Isaiah is looking right into the throne room of heaven. But ask yourself the very obvious question. How on earth can Isaiah see God? God is a spirit who has never been seen by any mortal. We know that from the scriptures. John 4 and 24 says, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Isaiah 31 and verse 3 says, Now the Egyptians are men and not God, and their horses flesh and not spirit. And if you look closely at the text of your Bible, which you will have open in front of you, there's even a hint here in the English text of Isaiah. You look at chapter 6 and verse 1 and look at the word Lord. It has a capital L, but the rest of it is lowercase. But if you go down to verse 3, you will read there, and one cried on to another, talking about the, the angels around the throne. One cried on to another and said, Holy, 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 is the Lord of hosts, and the word Lord, look at it, is capital letters throughout. Do you see the difference? That's important. Commentators tell us that the word Lord in verse 1 is not the word that we would call Jehovah or Yahweh. It's the word Sovereign. The word Lord, when you see it capitalized in the Old Testament, is the Jewish word for the name of God, which the Hebrews considered far too holy to even utter on their sinful lips. So they substituted it from Yahweh, the four-letter construction of the name of God, to the word Adonai, Lord. But the word Adonai is not used in the first verse. Literally what's being said here is in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the sovereign sitting upon a throne. So I'm going to suggest to you that the person that Isaiah saw seated on the eternal throne that day was the second person of the Trinity, the Logos, the Lord Jesus Christ. I have good reasons for that. I have textual reasons. John 1 and 18 says, No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. John, speaking about the eternal Logos, who is God and was with God, right from the beginning, who is the creator, who created the earth. And when we see Christ, we see God. But we can go further than that. For that passage that we read earlier, John 12, Jesus has been speaking to the Jews. And he's been speaking of judgment to come. And he's been urging them to trust him. And they have rejected their Messiah. And near the end of the chapter, John's commenting on that. And he's directing us right back to this very verse in Isaiah chapter 6. And he's saying... These things Isaiah said 
when he saw his glory. Who was John commenting about? He was commenting about Christ, his glory, and spoke of him. Isaiah, when he saw the glory of God that day, when he saw the Lord, John says in the inspired word of God, he was speaking of Christ. But I have theological reasons for it as well. If you cast your mind back to the springtime, I did a series of lessons on the podcast on the ascension and glorification of the Lord Jesus. And in those messages, we learned a great deal about where the Lord Jesus is. That he is seated on a throne in heavenly splendor. Romans chapter 8 and verse 34. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God and who maketh intercession for us. If ye be risen with Christ, says Colossians. Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. The message for us is clear, you see. It's a very important message. And it's a message which the church needs to hear and to act upon. That earthly monarchs will come and go. But the kingly reign of our Lord Jesus Christ never, ever ends. He is our king. And as such, we owe him our allegiance and our obedience and our loyalty and our worship. This will be a time of national mourning. And it will be a time of great pageantry. There will be pomp and circumstance. There will be ceremony and ritual, all the stuff that the United Kingdom does best and that the Americans love. And we've already seen televised for the first time the proclamation of the new king. We've seen inside the Privy Council and we've witnessed Charles to all intents and purposes a pagan holding up a Bible in his hand and declaring, I faithfully promise and swear that I will inviolably maintain and preserve the settlement of the true Protestant religion. We'll have to watch what he does with that one. It was all done with great attention to detail. But when we read the book of Isaiah, and I urge you to read chapter 6 when you go home, and just in the first few verses we see the wonder of the eternal praise of the one who is seated in the heavenly throne. And the bright and glorious attendants who celebrate his glory and listen to their hymn of praise as they cry, holy, 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 singing with great joy and singing with zeal. The eternal king, seated upon his throne forever and ever, seated in majesty and splendor against whom None of the kings of this earth can compare and before whom all of them will one day give an account. The commentator Matthew Henry 
says here, as the lives of princes have their periods, so their glory is often eclipsed. But as God is everlasting, so his glory is everlasting. King Uzziah died in a sick bed. Queen Elizabeth, after 96 years, is gone. King Jesus is still on his throne. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, please help to make it better known by opening the podcast app on your phone or mobile device. Then, search for The Semper Reformata Podcast. Subscribe and give it a 5-star rating. See you next time.